G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, good to catch up with Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back once again. Good morning. Martin, on Friday we were talking about a story, uh, Bill Muhlenberg, our Culture Watch segment, and Mm. telling the story of little Alfie Evans. And Mm. at the time we were saying that he may only have hours to live, a little boy just 22 months old, degenerative illness, and Mm. was likely to die. Uh, We were talking about his case. He was in the UK, but... He did lose his battle over the weekend. He died on Saturday. And uh, it is one of those sad stories that gives us cause to reflect on what ought to have happened. What are your Mm. thoughts on what happened with little Alfie Evans? Well, look, I mean, I think think it was Nigel Farage came out and just made the point, look, any parent who thought that there was an alternative treatment for their child uh, would move heaven and earth to ensure that that treatment was provided. And I think that's just what Alfie Evans' parents were trying to do all the way along. Um, He'd been in hospital since December 2016 when he suffered some seizures. Uh, He was on life support. Um, And in February of this year, the hospital decided that it was in his best interests, or through a legal case, um, decided that it was in his best interests to turn his life support off. But uh, of course, that wasn't the end of the story. There was three other European countries, medical experts in three other European countries, including Italy, uh, who said that uh, that there was a possible alternative and that they were willing to have a look and that they were interested in the case. Um, there was an offer of a military air ambulance given to take Alfie to one of those uh, places uh, in order to get further uh, treatment. But the uh, Alderhey Hospital enforced its decision with legal action um, and the parents had to seek legal representation in order to try and have their wishes fulfilled to see Alfie, uh, at least have someone have another look at Alfie, at least have some kind of uh, extra uh, extra mind and pair of hands and eyes go over his case. Um, and, and it was a blow-by-blow, blow, nail-biting saga that went uh, on over days. The hospital did turn his life support off. He didn't die. So they continued to go back to court, and again, they continued to lose until eventually, tragically, as you said over the weekend, Neil, he died. And it is extraordinary uh, in the sense that, sure, I mean, if, if, if a health system believes in the sanctity of human life and that human life should be preserved and upheld at all costs, which traditionally has been the purpose of our health systems and our hospitals, uh, then this opportunity to have an alternative treatment should have been afforded to Alfie and his parents. And his parents, understandably, uh, were desperate for this opportunity to be pursued. Um, but you have this desperately serious situation where the state decided that it would be better for Alfie to die than to live. And the state decided that there was no point going and getting extra treatment when that treatment had been offered by the relevant experts. Uh, it brings in questions of the right to life. It brings in questions of what were the parents' rights in all of this. And as a principle for the state to be making those decisions, it's a very serious thing. 
We might assume, Martin, that the state will make more and more of those decisions, especially with things like what happened last year in Victoria with the legislation for euthanasia. That's Mm -hmm. just another indicator, isn't it? As you were saying, uh, when you've got a health system that doesn't see the value in life the way that we ought to as Christians and the way we talk about the sanctity and the value of human life because we're created in the image and likeness of God. If you move away from that, uh, there's going to be an awful lot more controversial cases like this, and not just in the UK, but we're going to see these in Australia. Is that your prediction? I think so, yes, uh, particularly with changes around euthanasia laws because it's interesting. I was listening to a presentation by a Dutch researcher called Henk Reitzma, And he talked about how that when you introduce laws around euthanasia, when you introduce any law that make that that sets the principle that says, look, an appropriate way to care for someone, anyone, is to kill them, as euthanasia does. He says it changes what he calls the psyche of care. It changes the way doctors and hospitals and the health system think about caring for people because you have this new thing. You could kill someone in order to care for them. And that's new. It never used to be that way. And as soon as you accept that, uh, you make decisions like this that say, well, you know, it's in Alfie Evans's best interests that he die, rather than that we pursue all the available opportunities to preserve his life. Uh, it's a similar thing with euthanasia laws. There's certain categories of people for whom it's better to die. And you give the state, the government, the power to make some of those decisions. It's, it's a very ugly thing, actually. Um, and, and there's no way to control the implications and consequences that can flow from it. So I think Australia needs to be on high alert, particularly now that we have one jurisdiction that's passed euthanasia laws. And I think that it's incumbent upon particularly Christians, but all people, to ensure that these euthanasia laws do not spread because there's proposals in other states as well. I think you're right. There's an ugliness about the way things change if you lose an ideal of sanctity of life. Uh, Let's move on because there are some other big issues that are on the agenda and perhaps some things that are looking like breakthroughs. Uh, The idea of the Nordic approach to issues to do with prostitution and sex trafficking uh, looks like there could be a change uh, in the Liberals and their uh, policy approach in Victoria. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on what's happening there as a move toward the Nordic approach becomes more appealing? Well, the Nordic approach, uh, Neil, as you know, is, is a proposal uh, that comes out of the Scandinavian nations around the regulation of prostitution, which essentially makes it a criminal act to purchase a prostitute. So criminal, usually men are the ones doing that, um, and it criminalises that action. Uh, and what it, it does not actually criminalise the, the uh, act of prostituting yourself, which is usually women. Um, now, part of me says, well, surely it should be illegal for both parties because they're both doing the wrong thing. Uh, but the idea is actually that a lot of women, not all, but a lot of women who are in this particular uh, industry um, are, are there involuntarily or, or would get out if they could or, or would change their ways if they received the appropriate care and rehabilitation. And it doesn't criminalise what they do because what it wants to do is to reach as many as possible who can be helped with that help without driving them away, but it does criminalise the purchase. So, um, so it's still an illegal act uh, to go and buy a prostitute. So the interesting thing about it is, aside from all that theory, is that it seems to work. That's sort of the long story. The, 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 the short story is that it seems to work. Uh, it seems to work in Scandinavia. It seems to have worked in other countries uh, where it is adopted, where prostitution rates are greatly reduced. 
um, and human trafficking is also uh, impacted in a positive way. It's reduced. And so it's nice to see uh, in Australia for the first time uh, a party that is prepared to trial this and have adopted it as an official policy in their platform. That's happened in the Victorian Liberals. Um, and it may actually be the catalyst that we've been waiting for to have this approach adopted nationwide in order to reduce prostitution, in order to help more women to get out of prostitution. Um, it might actually be something that will really work here. And especially in states like Western Australia and South Australia, there's been a lot of lobbying on this. So once one domino falls, you might see more. And is this something of a sign, Martin? Because when people have looked at Victorian politics and the Andrews government, and uh, often being quite uh, quite cruel to the Andrews government in suggesting that this is like the cultural Marxist government in Australia, and then looking at an opposition that almost looks the same as the Andrews government, is this a positive that might indicate that the conservative side of politics in Victoria may be moving a little more to the right? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that's definitely true. So uh, there is. it's interesting, if you look around the country, particularly at the centre-right politics, uh, particularly the Liberal Party and the National Party, uh, there have been shifts to become more conservative at a grassroots and an organisational level. Uh, it seems to be a reaction against uh, the present government, which is not particularly socially conservative in its outlook. Uh, and yet the grassroots of the Liberal Party, it's well known, is quite socially conservative. The grassroots, I mean, those the, the, the ordinary mum and dad and, and, and Joe Average members of the party who go along to the branches and vote, um, they're quite socially conservative. And you'll see up in Queensland recently, George Brandis uh, re retired from his Senate seat. Now, he's not a socially conservative guy. And the tradition is that if someone uh, resigns and they're, say, a moderate, then you replace them with a moderate. If they resign and they're a conservative, you replace them with a conservative. But in Queensland, you saw George Brandis resign as a moderate and you saw him replaced with a conservative in Amanda Stoker. Uh, now down in Victoria, there's been some changes over the weekend to the composition of various committees in the Liberal Party. Uh, and a lot of those positions have come up for, for replacement or renewal. And you've suddenly seen that the Conservatives have a majority of seats on a number of those uh, different, different bodies. And so uh, there has definitely been a shift towards the Conservative end of the spectrum in Victoria, as there has been in other states. I think that's got interesting implications for future coalition governments um, after Turnbull, I think there's a real chance that there'll be many more conservative, social conservatives in parliament, more social, socially conservative governments. And it also has implications for Cory Bernardi's Australian conservatives. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how they navigate uh, things if indeed the federal Liberal Party move towards a more conservative tack because that will undermine their voting base. Uh, insightful thoughts there, Martin Niles. Uh, another issue before I let you go, uh, the Banking Royal Commission's claimed another scalp. The AMP chairperson, uh, Catherine Brenner, has resigned following some evidence at the Banking Royal Commission uh, of misconduct by the company's staff. Uh, what are your thoughts on the developments that are happening there and, and in this case another scalp claimed by the Banking Royal Commission? Yeah, I think you and I have had a few conversations uh, over the last number of weeks about questions of integrity. It seems to come up in every sphere now. Uh, in terms of this Banking Royal Commission and the AMP scandal, it seems that AMP uh, is responsible for charging customers for services that they never received and then lying about it to the regulator. That was the revelation of 
a, a report prepared by Clayton Newt's the law firm, uh, on what had happened internally. So Catherine Brenner has resigned. Brian Salter, the general counsel, has, has left and he's had to forego salary that had been deferred. Uh, and the entire board is taking a 25% pay cut this year. Um, but we've discussed... I think there was the Cricket Australia discussion we had when the team cheated. We had a discussion about the Victorian Labor Party, how they essentially cheated in, in the way they were paying their staff in the last election. Uh, we've talked about Barnaby Joyce and his um, uh, his tragic fall from, from, from his position as Deputy Prime Minister. It seems to me that there's always these questions of integrity. Um, and when people get consumed with the wrong goal, let's say it's the Victorian Labor Party and they're consumed with winning the election or the Australian cricket team and they're consumed with the game and winning the game or AMP and they're consumed with making money uh, and, 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 and gaining fees and they're not actually concerned with doing what's right when they lose their focus and character is sacrificed, you lose everything. Now we're, gonna, we're in a situation where we could lose the Australian public's confidence in the banking system. Uh, we're in a situation where a company that holds onto the funds that belong to many mums and dads and belong to many businesses and so forth uh, is deeply wounded because they lost sight of what was right. And I think as Christians, that's probably something that we can we can just remind ourselves of and say, look, we know what's right and we need to make sure that we're not these people. That When we go into the world and go into our business and go into our various roles, uh, we should always uh, uphold integrity first uh, because once you lose that, you lose everything. Well, Martin, so valuable getting your insights each week. Certainly appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts uh, with listeners here on 2020. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. It's acl.org.au and you'll find tremendous resources on the Australian Christian Lobby website as well as updates on a number of the issues uh, that are facing the nation. And uh, a couple we didn't get time to talk about today uh, ones to do with universities and the cost of sharing your faith at university. Other ones to do with uh, the ideal that uh, uh, that in a country like Australia, uh, people could become criminals for expressing why babies should not be harmed. Uh, have a look, look at those and, uh, and you'll be informed on a deeper level about a bunch of issues that are so important for our nation. Martin Isles, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's always a great pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.